Uh, in the Christian world at large, you might hear them referred to as three circles, gospel circles, doesn't matter, but these are the gospel circles. So I was introduced to this diagram a year and a half ago and then began uh, using it in my evangelistic conversations with, with non-believers and even people that I wasn't quite sure where they were at, but just to get clarity of, of where they were at. When it was first shown to me, I thought, eh, that's too simplistic. I'm not really sh sure about it. But what really sold me on this diagram was the first time I took a non-believer through it. And as their eyes widened, they're like, oh my word, that was one of the clearest explanations of the gospel I've heard, and that was right. really helpful. So at first when I saw it, I wasn't quite sure, but then once I started taking non-believers through it and seeing how helpful it was to someone who either had no context to Christianity whatsoever or had grown up in the church their whole life but had never repented and believed in what Christ has done for us, it's been a helpful diagram. So here's the gospel circles. It's gonna show up here on the screen, and I'll walk us through it. So the gospel circles begins with God's design. So in the beginning, God created everything, and everything was operating perfectly according to God's design and under his rule and under his authority. Humanity had a perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, and everything was operating under God's design. But pretty quickly, humanity rejected God and his design for our life and rejected relationship with him, and that led to brokenness. So we experienced brokenness in all sorts of ways. We experienced brokenness between our relationship with God. We experienced brokenness between our relationship with each other. We even experienced brokenness with our world, AKA coronavirus. So in this broken state, not only do we experience it here and now, but it also this rejection led to condemnation, to guilt before God. So there are all sorts of ways that we try to suppress and deceive ourselves or escape this sense of brokenness. So some people turn to things like partying to escape or suppress this sense of brokenness. Other people turn to religion. If I can just be a good enough person, then I'll feel better about myself. Some career, some romance, some money, but we all look for some way to escape this sense of brokenness. But here's the problem. All of those lead to dead ends and don't truly deliver us from this brokenness that we are in. Not only that, like I said, this rejection of God has put us in a place of guilt before God. And because of that, we deserve eternal condemnation. Now, God looked at humanity in this broken state, people that he created in his own image and out of love wanted to provide a way of salvation from this brokenness. So John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So it says because of this rejection, there is, there's eternal perishing that waits all but because of what Christ has done for us, if you turn and believe in him, eternal life is what waits us. So a synonym for believe is trust. What happens in trust is at first I acknowledge my rejection against God and acknowledge the guilt I have because of my rejection and sin before him, but I trust in what Jesus Christ has done for me that provided a way of salvation from this brokenness. For anyone who trusts in Christ then, it restores our relationship with God and it sets us on a new trajectory to once again pursue God's design in our life with the hope of eternal life, like John 3.16 said. And not only that, God then sends us back into a broken world to proclaim this good news that there is salvation through Jesus Christ. 
So that's where I stop the presentation of the diagram. So it takes about two, three minutes to go through. And I, I go a little bit faster, a little bit slower at times, depending on who I'm talking to. But that's really what I do. I use one verse. I just say, hey, the most famous verse in the Bible, you probably heard it, John 3:16, And that's what, what I use. Then I go into a discussion time with them. So I, I have, it's not like a hard and fast list of questions, but I just have conversation questions that I then use that I'm trying to engage with this diagram and them for about 20, 30 minutes on it. So some of the questions that I'm asking, uh, always the first question I ask after I do the presentation is say, hey, what stands out to you? As you hear me explain that, what stood out? So we'll engage with that for a while. I'll ask things like, have you ever heard the gospel or the message of Christianity put in this way before? Ask them what was different, what was similar. Um, I'll ask them which of these uh, squiggly arrows resonated with them. Say, hey, have you tried any of these out before? So I was sharing with a guy last week using this diagram, Gabe, and uh, like that was the part that was really clicking with him. And I think school was the thing that he was pointing at. Or, oh no, friendships. Friendships was the squiggly line for him that he was pursuing. So we talked about that. Um, then I'll, I'll ask, hey, have you ever had a moment where you acknowledged your sin and guilt before God and trusted in Jesus for your salvation, AKA repent and believe. So Gabe last week, he's like, no, I've never done that, even though I've gone to church sometimes, but that, what you're describing has not happened. Um, so then I'll ask like, what obstacles would keep you from surrendering your life to Christ today? Um, then I always, always ask, do you want to surrender your life to Christ today? Acknowledging your guilt and sin before him and trusting what Jesus has done. If they say, uh, maybe, or I'm not really sure, then we'll just keep the conversation going. So two minutes, and then I, I get into, try to get into like a 20 minute conversation that's just interacting with it, so. Right, that's awesome. That's awesome, thanks Stephen. So that's one of the tools right there, and one of the things too that Stephen was mentioning at that I wanna highlight is talking about how, how do you turn the corner, right, from you have friends that you talk about stuff, and, and uh, how do you break the ice into that place where you get to be talking about spiritual things? And often what I find is there's opportunity everywhere to be in those conversations. Like a couple weeks ago, I was hanging with my barber, his name is Jay. He's a really cool dude, I like him a lot. And he was just talking about how he wants to get baptized and his kids want, so that he'd be a good example to his kids. And Jay, he works at Finishing Touch, he actually owns Finishing Touch right there on the hill. If you've ever walked by his establishment, like it is, it's a pretty cool, gnarly place. And um, man, I, I, I really enjoy his friends that are in there and the people that work for him. And, and, and it was just an easy place to look at him and be like, hey, Jay, why do you want to do that? Why is it you want to be a good friend to that person, right? Like, why do you want to be a good example to your kids? And why do you think that's a good example? And why should you do that while you're living with your girlfriend and you're not married? Like, help me understand what this means for you. And then and are, there's other opportunities where I'm looking at a friend and I'm just going, hey, I meet somebody. Here's the easiest one that happens. You meet somebody at church that shows up here and you, take, and you go to lunch with them or you get coffee with them or you say, hey, let's hang out, right? And those people are around all the time. This morning, last Sunday, I met two people right here in the front row. One of them was a guy who was here to watch his girlfriend get baptized. He's like, I'm Catholic and I don't go to church. I got his number, I'm trying to hang out with him. And then another one was this girl, Grace, who was right behind me, who was in her mid-30s, and she said, yeah, it's my first Sunday at church. Like, there are people, we have an amazing church, and people show up all of the time. And they're showing up for a reason, not just because they wanna hang out with people, but because they wanna, they wanna know if this God thing's real. And they're waiting for someone to interact with them. One of the easiest things to do is to sit down with them and just ask them a question. Hey, what do you think about what you heard on Sunday? What does it mean for you to know God? At some point, you have to ask that kind of question, 
right? And here's where it comes weird for some of us. If some of us have begun relationships with our neighbors and our friends, but you've left this whole portion of your life out of the conversation, right? And now the longer you become friends with them, the longer you've been friends with them, the weirder it seems to bring it up. And here's something I just wanna challenge you with is they don't know you because they knew you, they would know this part of you. And when I find myself in that position, I find myself looking at that friend and saying, hey, me and you, I feel like we're becoming friends. There's something really important in my life that I feel like I need to share with you. And that, that I'm a follower of Christ and I want you to know what that means. But first, could you tell me what, what you think when you hear that sentence? Because what I want them always to do is I want them to explain to me what they believe about God, the universe, or whatever. For a couple reasons. They begin to vocalize the things that they believe, which usually they haven't thought through them well at all. And as they're saying them, they see how flimsy they are. And then secondly, and this is just practical, is secondly is once they've shared what they believe, now they have to listen to what you believe. It's only polite, we're in the Midwest, okay? We can do this, all right? Let's take advantage of this culture, it's beautiful. All right, I'm from the South, it's the same thing, okay? Oh, now I have to listen to you. And after I ask them what, this is what about 90% of my conversations go, after I hear what they said, I go, that's really interesting. Man, you know, this is what I believe. And do you mind if I draw a picture for you that, would, that helps me understand I'm a visual person and, it, and seeing things visually helps me understand concepts as big as this. And so I'll pull out a napkin, a piece of paper, whatever it is, whatever I have around. A lot of times I'm asking for something out of their backpack or, or I'm grabbing a napkin at a restaurant and writing this on a napkin. And I wanna draw it up in front of them. And I start by doing this. I just say, let's see if this is gonna work for me as well as it worked for you. Slow burn. Uh-oh. Ah, there we go. All right, good. I need to go too. I draw this beautiful piece of artwork right here, okay? Magnificent person, okay? I know you're like, did his son draw that? No, I did. It's that bad. That's, so it, the writing's going to get pretty bad. That's why we gave it to you on a paper first because you're going to be able to understand very little of it. But I draw a piece of, I just draw this up just like this and I say, hey, this is what I see the Bible tells us to be true is that God created us to be in relationship with him that God created us, that we would be in a relationship with him. And then, but what happens is we look at Romans 3.23 and I'll have them open it up to Romans 3.23. And yes, that's the three at the end of that. Um, Romans 3.23, it says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I ask him a simple question. What is sin? And what you're gonna hear them say is they're gonna be like, oh, it's like you do bad things or you steal or you kill and like whatever. They're gonna name, sometimes they'll name like things that people go to prison for because they'll disassociate themselves with sinning. And I, I just go, yeah, sin is anything that we do that falls short of the standard of God, that God has a standard and none of us meet that standard. Every single one of us. In fact, I'll even go as far to illustrate them, this to them. I said, in fact, I sin so much that if, if that if God put all the things that I thought today on, on, a, on this board, I would have to run out here in the middle of the night and never see you again because I'd be so embarrassed. Do you have stuff like that? And he's like, yeah, I have stuff like that. All right, cool. And I go, Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is, is salvation in Christ Jesus. And I just asked him one question. I was like, what is a wage? You know, and, and I go, what's a wage? It's like, it's something you've earned. So what does that mean? I look at them and go, what does that mean? And I help them try to piece, the, piece it together. I want to draw a little, use the Bible to draw like breadcrumbs to the gospel where I weave their story to the story of Christ to the story of them being redeemed to Christ. And I say, hey, look, okay, well, you've sinned. I've sinned, all right? And that means what we've earned is death. We've earned separation from God, right? And I go, and you know that you're separated from God for this one reason only, 
that there is something you've done in your life that you don't want me to know. That has let you know that you have broken a code of your creator. And that's called shame. That's what that is right there. Because we know Hebrews 9.27 says this, that just as it appointed for man to die, they're gonna be judged. And so as I look at this, oh, I keep forgetting to press the button. I'm really bad about this. What is sin? What is a wage? Hebrews 9.27, hey, you're gonna be judged. And what we're gonna be judged is that when we die, that means we're gonna be judged before God. And that's, where sep- and that's called separation between us and God. And there's nothing we can do. And then I look at him and say, hey, that's a really bad picture, isn't it? I acknowledge this, like, that's a terrible picture. Like, that stinks. And I just ask this one question. I just say this one statement. It's really important on the transition. It says, you know what, but God wasn't satisfied with this picture. In fact, God was so unsatisfied with this picture that he decided to do something about it, that he decided to make a way. Says John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I wanna draw their attention to a couple of things that, that, that Jesus said right there. And I want to camp out on the idea, he says that he uses the article the, that he's the truth, the way, the life. That the is an exclusive statement. I'm looking at them and say, Jesus doesn't want to just be a way for you to have a great life, or a way for you to live, or a way for you to get to the Father. He says, I am the only way. I am the truth, the life. Then I want to define what does that mean by the life? That the life we're meant to live, the way we're meant to get to God, right, the, it, that, the truth that we can know about God. And what I wanna tell them at this moment, and I do tell them over and over again, is that, is that you can't see these words very well, but it says joy, peace, and love, is that what we're looking for, what all humanity is wired to be is in relationship with God. And we're wired to be in relationship with God, and when we are, we experience joy, the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, and love. And everybody's seeking after those, but they're trying to figure it out their own way. Whether it's like finding peace because you're really good at your job, or being in the right relationship, or any of the things, whatever you name it, put it in that box. Whatever it's important to that person, I put it in that box because they're gonna talk about what's really important to them and what they really are hoping in. And that's why I wanna put it in that box and say, hey, this is what you're wanting, but it doesn't deliver, does it? It doesn't bring you to a place of peace because there's someone always better than you. It doesn't bring you to joy because it's never enough because you're trying to fit them in that God-sized hole that's happening in your life. So Jesus has created this way, but how do we cross this way? John 5, 24 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in the one who sent me does not come under judgment, but crosses over from death to life. Now, look at that sentence again. What does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in the one who sent me does not come, over, does not come under judgment. Wasn't that Hebrews 9.27? I'll point to 9.27 and say, but it's crossed over from death, and then I'll point at Romans 6.23, but to life, which is on the other side. And I ask him a question, go, hey, what must we hear and what must we believe? Well, we have to believe the gospel. And the shortest version of the gospel I could find in scripture is, is 1 Corinthians 15, verses three through four, that, that I've given to you a verse of importance that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he raised. And I, say, I look at him and say, this is the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and then he raised defeating sin and death, so now you can have life in his name. That's what we put our trust in. That you are in relationship with God because you're not doing things better, you're a better person, but because of who, what Jesus has done. But how must I believe that? What must I believe that? Romans 10, 9 and 10. 
For if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the mouth one confesses and is justified, and with the heart one believes and is saved. I flipped that. Actually, with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's really important that order too, because I look at them, I say, hey, what kind of belief do we see in Romans 10, 9, and 10? And I have the Bible on my phone in front of them. Usually I want them to read it. But you need to be able to memorize these verses. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute, why you need to be able to memorize these verses for, for several reasons. But Romans 10, 9, 10, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. What kind of heart belief, what kind of belief is it talking about? And they're gonna look at it and they're gonna be like, oh, it's, it's a heart belief. And I'm like, okay, what's the difference between a heart belief and a head belief? And they're gonna pause, they're gonna think about it, go, a head belief is just something you intellectually believe to be true. But a heart belief is something that you believe to the core, that you are trusting in, that it matters to you. And I'll use the example of this, like two plus two equals four. You know that to be intellectually true, but it doesn't mean anything to your life. If somebody walked in the room right now and said, hey, say two plus two equals five, and that the grass is blue, or I'm gonna shoot you, you're like, it's five, it's five. I don't even care, all right? It's blue, it's seven, whatever you want. You're not gonna die over two plus two equals four, because it's a silly thing to die over, even though you know they're, they're intellectually wrong. But, but the kind of faith that Jesus is calling to is this, if you were drowning right now, and I threw you a life vest, that with your last act, your last motivating belief would be to grab that life vest. Because not only do you have an intellectual understanding that that life vest could save your life, but the heart belief would, would, would move you to action to grab hold of that life vest and trust in the sufficiency of that life vest to save your life. I want them to understand that it's about trusting Jesus, not just intellectually accepting something about God. That's about trusting Jesus. And then this is the next thing I do. After I say that, I go, I look at the person, let's say I'm talking to John. I'm like, hey, John, if this, if this top line was a spectrum, where would you put yourself? I want you to put an X on the paper where you put yourself. And they're gonna put themselves in different spots. Like they're gonna put themselves right next to the guy. They're gonna put on top of the cross. And, and, and then the, the first question I asked him is, why are you there? Why did you put yourself there? Why did you put yourself in that particular spot? because I want them to understand where they are and why they're there, okay? I'm getting them to think critically about what I've just asked them to do. I want them to intellectually understand the gospel so they can heart, at a heart level respond to it, right? And then so they're like, oh, I'm here because, and there's all these crazy things to say, like, hey, I'm here because I need to hear, I'm hearing, but I'm not sure if I'm believing, or I just don't think it's true, or I need to do better things, or I need to be a better person, or whatever, like, I'm just here because I'm not a good person. And then I go, okay, well, what would it take for you to be here? What needs to happen for you to be on this side of the, of the spectrum of following Jesus? Moving from death to life. What would it take for you to do that? And they're gonna say, this is what I love. No, Matt, nine out of 10 times, they're gonna look at you and they're gonna say, I need to be a better person or go to church more often. And so that's why I have this verse always on there because I use it so much. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of works so that no man may boast. And I asked them, hey, what does that mean? What does it mean that it's not by your works? Well, if you had to be better, wouldn't that be your works? Like, oh, I don't know. Then I asked him a question again, where are you? I'm over here. Okay, what will it take for you to get to the other side? I want them to verbally acknowledge the intellectual reality about where they are and where they need to go. I want them to intellectually understand it and be able to verbalize it. And what happens nine times out of 10 if someone doesn't come to Jesus in that first meeting. They don't. And I give them that paper 
and I say, hey, look, I want you, let's get together next week and just start reading through the book of John together. Or reading through a couple of stories of John or a couple of stories of Mark. And let's just start answering this question, do you actually believe who Jesus says he is? Right? Because that's the question. Because I don't know about you, but when I get into spiritual conversations with people, they wanna talk to me about everything except for that question. And I just look at them and I say, hey, look, those are great questions. Yeah, we can talk about the Crusades. We can talk about homosexuality. We can talk about all those other things. But let's just, let's start with the most important question is, is Jesus who the Bible says he is? And if he is, then I feel like the Bible has great answers for your questions. But if he's not, do those questions even matter? If, if, he's, if Jesus isn't the son of God, do those questions even matter? And I begin to have that conversation because that's where I want to bring them to is a place of identifying who is Jesus in your life. And I'm going to ask it over and over and over again as we sit down and talk to them. And the next week, I give them that diagram and say, go home with it and look at it. Keep it in your Bible. Here's a Bible I've given you. Here's something I've given you. But keep it in your room. Look at it and continually ask yourself that question and pray that God would reveal himself to you over and over and over again. All right. When somebody does come to faith, this is the first verse I show them. First John 5, 13. I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. I want them to know that they can know that they can know that God's saying, hey, I, it's not a secret. I want you to know that you can have eternal life. You've done this thing. There's no, like the first thing Satan's going to do is try to get you to doubt what you've just done. Know that what you know is true. And I'm gonna press in on that over and over and over again. Now, I wanna talk about why I said you need to memorize these verses. Because memorizing verses, the word of God, guys, is like putting arrows in your quiver that he could use to transform somebody's heart. As Nick said so great last night at Salt, he was talking about how the word of God is a double-edged sword that's able to separate bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Let the word do the work in people's life. And I wanna get people, I wanna get the word in front of people. And I need to be able to know it well enough that even if I don't have a piece of paper or a Bible, I can write it down for them and show them at any moment of what's happening. And furthermore, when you know these verses, me and Stephen talk about this, you become better at using other tools like the circle because you have a foundation of God's word about how to share the gospel. And here's another reason why. It's an incredible opportunity to stoop new believers in the word of God. Because the very next thing when somebody comes to know Jesus that I, that I just moved to establishing them is I ask them, I go, hey, we're gonna memorize these verses we're gonna start memorizing these verses and we're gonna start learning to tell your testimony right now. And then the very next thing I ask him is this, who, who else needs to hear this story that you know that we can invite into this conversation? Because the reality is when somebody comes to know Jesus, they're having these conversations with, about God, but they're just having them with all the wrong people. And so they know all the people that are seeking to know God. And I've seen it work. Like I remember, when, I remember a couple years ago, I, I led a guy to the Lord named Chad and I looked at him, I asked him that question. He brought Brent from his, his fraternity, just showed up. We shared the gospel with him. And then Brent became a believer. And then he led Brent, little Brent to Christ. And I was helping him lead somebody. Like it just worked through. Like we almost had a, we had a bunch of guys that just a string of dudes just working through them right there. Why? Because they all know people that are having that conversation because they were having it well before you did. Like think about the Ethiopian eunuch. What is he doing? God's prepared his heart. He's ready, right? What is he doing? He's reading the book of Isaiah. And then Philip just appears right in front of him. Guys, God has prepared. What Ephesians 2.10 tells us? He's prepared you. He's prepared good works for you to walk in. So the people that you're around, you're there on purpose. Right? My, one of my biggest mentors in my life used to tell me this over and over again. He goes, you know how God's working your life, working somebody's life? He put a Christian next to him. 
because God's process is people. You're there on purpose. We just have to step into those moments and press in. And so this is, what it, this is just an example of how to do it. You may have a thousand other tools. Great, I hope you use them. I hope you have a favorite tool in sharing the gospel, but I always look for new ones as well. And just because we're doing it this way and you have another way, like we're not saying the other way is wrong. We just wanna make sure we have some ways in order to do it that we present it to you. So here's the discussion question that we're gonna go into right now is how are you as a leader, because everyone in this room is a leader, going to take these tools and integrate them into your discipleship plan with your connection group, right? How are you as leaders in this church going to digest this information, use it, and then help others use it? All right, so let's spend a few minutes to talk about that, and then we're gonna hear some stories, and we're gonna do some Q&A. Can we throw the, the, uh, the number back up there, please? Thank you. All right, great, go.